0: Claim this discount by going to PhotographyCourse.net and entering the coupon code PODCAST. Come join PhotographyCourse.net and capture more than just a moment. Hello everyone, my name is Taya and I'm the host of Great Big Photography World podcast, where we interview notable photographers in the industry, give advice on a wide variety of topics, and provide tips for beginners and professionals alike. In this episode, I speak with Joel Sartori, who is an award-winning photographer, speaker, author, conservationist, and the 2018 National Geographic Explorer of the Year. He regularly contributes to National Geographic magazine, and he has been working on a 25-year documentary project to save species and habitats, which is called the Photo Arc. In this episode, we discuss his success, how he communicates with people, how he takes great photographs, and much more. Please enjoy. Hi, Joel. Welcome to Great Big Photography World podcast. I'm so thrilled to have you here. Please introduce yourself to the listeners.
1: Thank you. Great to be here. My name is Joel Sartori. I'm a photographer and explorer for National Geographic Society, and I'm also founder of the PhotoArc, which is my 25 year mission to document every captive species on Earth around the world in zoos and aquariums to try to get the public to care about the extinction crisis.
0: What an amazing project that you've been working on. And I'm curious to know, what was the first species that you photographed for the photo arc?
1: The first one was a naked mole rat 17 years ago at the Lincoln Children's Zoo in Lincoln, Nebraska, where I live. And so since then, you know, we've gone well past 14,000 species now. So we travel around the world and I'm gone about half the year. And uh, yeah, we keep adding to the number. We keep finding new species. That's incredible. And I was, uh, I shared, as
0: I told you earlier, before we started recording, I shared some of your videos with my family members and my mom had a question that she wanted to ask you. What is the cutest animal that you've ever photographed?
1: One that really made you melt? The cutest animal. You know, Tarsiers are very near and dear to me because they're the tiniest primate, the smallest primate in the world. They have these giant eyes for collecting light at night because they're nocturnal. Uh, to me they're they're amazing. I mean, it's hard to pick favorites, you know, but there's a lot of animals that are just really cute and tarsiers have to be right up there. They have to rank just right up there because they're 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 about the size of a salt or pepper shaker, really, when they're seated. And they're full of personality. They're little primates. So they're they've got, you know, the same emotions we do, and they're, they are they're active socially and and they are very agile and able to live in the forest and it's it's just they're amazing in every way to me that's so amazing okay i'll let
0: my mom know thank you very much for answering that question you bet you have an extensive faq page on your website that lists the equipment that you use and answers a lot of questions so i won't ask you about your equipment but i am curious to know about your favorite piece of equipment or maybe an accessory that
1: you find very helpful that's a good question i've never been asked that i don't think Favorite piece of equipment, I've used Nikon cameras since I was about 18 years old, and so I'm still a big Nikon fan. The Nikon D850 body shoots a big raw file, and it's pretty straightforward, pretty simple to use, and so I'm a fan of that. And I use the Nikon 28-300 lens for most photo arc shooting because it's it's the only zoom lens I've seen for a DSLR camera that zooms in without having to back up. You can stay in one place and zoom in. And that's remarkable. So I guess if I had to pick one piece of gear, I think it'd be the Nik- Nikon 28 to 300 zoom, which is what I use for a lot of the photo work.
0: Very interesting. I think zoom lenses are definitely very useful and you don't need to move around too much, as you just said, and, and that's incredibly helpful, especially when working with animals in crowds. It and is, things.
1: and especially since a lot of the animals that I photograph are in tents, you know, like cloth shooting tents for little birds. It's important that i be able to stay still Uh, so that they become more relaxed and also i can't really pull back any because i'm shooting in a little bitty zippered hole in the front of the tent and if i pull back the bird could get out so that's really a critical thing is to just is to have a lens where it can zoom in without backing up physically so i think that's why i chose that piece of gear is my favorite
0: definitely yeah that makes sense When you were asked for photography advice, you said that passion is one of the most important factors. And I completely agree with that. And I think photographers have to be okay with financial uncertainty and unrelenting pressure, as you mentioned on your website as well. Tell me about an experience in your photography journey that pushed your limits and proved to you that you're truly passionate about this craft.
1: The shoot I did for National Geographic magazine in the late 90s on Madidi National Park in Bolivia was a real eye opener to me. I'd never really been out of the country much. I'd certainly not spent any time in the jungle, and that assignment required me to do both for about six weeks. And it was very interesting. You know, the people that live there they view the jungle as a very, uh, very pleasant place and cool in the summer and uh, abundant in terms of the the fruits, the fruits and nuts and game that you can get to eat. But for me, it was all very new, and I lost a lot of weight. And eventually, towards the end of the trip, I got to where I was much more comfortable. But it was an eye-opener, you know. It just taught me that there's there's a lot more than one right way to live a life in terms of bringing my baggage, you know, mental baggage. Like, things are supposed to be a certain way. That's how they are at home. That doesn't really apply if you travel, and I think that's why – traveling anywhere is a good idea because it expands your mind it shows you how other people live and um, you can learn a lot and it's fun so i don't know if that answers your question fully but the the biggest challenge was that first trip to Medina national park it was a it was amazing but it was hard for me at first very hard for me
0: I like that answer and I understand why it was difficult for you first and I think it's very exciting this part of your job that allows you to meet all kinds of people and you've written in past articles and interviews that you have to do a lot of research sometimes and talk to scientists and people who are masters and experts in their fields. I'm sure that you're very knowledgeable now thanks to all these people that you've met.
1: Right, I sure am. I owe them a great debt of gratitude for sure.
0: You're incredibly talented when it comes to connecting with your subject. What advice would you give to photographers who want to take better photos of animals?
1: I would say put more time into it. First of all, figure out which animals you care about. Go to other people who have worked on those animals with those animals, maybe biologists that study them. Try to figure out what's the best, kindest way to photograph these animals. Are they habituated or used to people? Well, that might make it easier. If they're very shy and elusive and you're crashing through the brush trying to get pictures, that can be really hard on animals because they're not used to that. So I would try to seek out experts that are really familiar with the animals that you want to be close to and find out what the proper way to do it is. Think about animal welfare first. That's that's what I'd suggest.
0: Yeah, I think that's the most important thing. You have to make sure that you are shooting in an environment that is fair to the animal and not just trying to take photos for the sake of it, of course.
1: Exactly right.
0: When you started working on the photo work what was the initial idea that you had did you initially decide to take thousands thousands of photographs or did you have another idea
1: in mind no you know my wife had gotten sick and she's fine now to this day but she was she had radiation and chemo for cancer and this has been like 18 or 19 years ago now and i was just looking for something to do on the days when she felt better and our local zoo the lincoln children's zoo was very uh, accommodating and happy to have me and and it just kind of worked into going from something where i was just photographing small animals to something that turned into something big I, i photographed started using white and black backgrounds because it was a good way of getting close to the animal with no size comparison you know that mouse is every bit as big as an elephant you don't have any size comparison because there's nothing in the picture to do that it's just the animal on a white or black background so i photographed every animal in lincoln and then i drove an hour to the omaha zoo many times and photographed a lot of their collection and things got bigger and bigger and pretty soon i'm traveling internationally to do it so it was a slow process i didn't think it would turn into this when i started it was just a way of photographing animals and having something to do on the days when my wife felt good enough for me to leave for an hour or two because the zoos just a mile from our house
0: first of all i'm really glad that your wife is feeling better now thank you second of all it's so great that you that it was a slow process i think it's less intimidating when you start from a place of passion and then it slowly grows into something
1: i think you're right
0: when you take photographs of animals you mentioned that you sometimes shoot in cramped spaces but you also use artificial lights what advice would you give to people who are new to artificial lights and want to get better at using it
1: Well, to me, it's difficult to master artificial light. In fact, I've been working with artificial lights my whole career, and I still am learning every day. It's really hard to beat natural light, like the subtle light that comes into your house and plays off a wall, you know, just natural light, the sun. It's so soft and nice if you play it right, if you do it right. Shoot early or late in the day when the sun's low on the horizon. Or indoors, you can shoot indirect light that kind of bounces in from the outside world. But in terms of artificial light, you're creating all that. And so I would suggest that having a good soft box or light shaper or modifier over the front of flash heads is a really big thing to do. And to bounce light when you can to make it softer yet. It's just something that people have to play with and shoot a lot of pictures to get comfortable with it and to get good with it. But the modifiers of the light, that's a big deal to have a good soft box and maybe a grid on there too, which – focuses the light and doesn't allow it to splay everywhere but is more directed with a grid
0: that's great advice i think it's good that we have the opportunity to control light but it's definitely a challenge because there are so many options to choose from you can shoot using multiple lights just one light and then modifiers as you said there's just a lot and so i
1: there guess
0: to know that even someone as experienced as you is still learning because it just proves that there's always something exciting to master and to learn in the world of
1: photography. That's right. That's right. And I, I can't say I'm even close. Like, I, I like that about photography is that you really never can truly master it. You can always try to be better. You know, it's, it's hard to understand how light works. I know that it picks up color when it bounces off of an object. If you bounce it off a red shirt, the light will be red. You know, it picks up color and takes that color with it. And... I also know that it's extremely hard to match the natural light in a room with artificial light. It's just really hard. Even people that are great with artificial light have a tough time balancing out natural light or at least making their artificial lights look like natural light. That's a real art and a craft. And many people have done it, but I'm still working on it.
0: Definitely. It's fascinating. And speaking of mastering photography, a few years ago you had an interview with National Geographic in which you said that you shoot at least 30,000 photos a year for only three or four or keepers. How do you analyze your work and what tips would you give to photographers who want to get better at analyzing the photos and improving their skills?
1: Well, I think it's true that I do shoot that much. I shoot a lot of images. I try to not overshoot, but I also want to shoot until I feel like I've got something good. And with animals, sometimes you can't shoot as long as you want because you, you want to get them done quickly to reduce stress. I think that, the, again, the big thing is having somebody, you know, number one, shooting a lot because you get better over time and analyzing it critically. Be hard on yourself. Be, be critical of your own work. Don't think that your work's good enough because it probably never will be, no matter who you are, myself included. And maybe have somebody who's a friend or a mentor who can look at your work and help you edit. My wife does that for me a lot. My oldest son, Cole, does that for me a lot. It's really, It really elevates your work and makes it better if you can get an impartial judge that you trust to look at your work and tell you whether or not it's good or bad or what could be done differently.
0: Having an impartial judge is definitely very important, and I think there are so many communities out there right now, and as you said, even friends or family, who can help with constructive criticism. And I think it's difficult to swallow it first, but then it gets
1: easier. (laughs) Yes. Yes, it does, doesn't it? I think so. And, you know, it's important to note that it's not personal when people criticize the work. Hopefully they do it constructively, but it's not personal at all. It's just a process that you have to go through to make you a little bit uncomfortable so that you'll get better because nobody really ever changed without being made uncomfortable somewhat.
0: That's very true. Discomfort is a necessity. I specialise in wildlife photography and landscape photography. I'm a member of PhotographyCourse.net online community. I like the community because you get some fantastic ideas and some great feedback. So take your photography to the next level by clicking the link in the description.
1: That's what I did and I haven't looked back.
0: If you want to join our online community, go to photographycourse.net and enter the coupon code podcast to get 50% off your first year as a premium member. You've produced so many photographs for the photo work, as you mentioned earlier, and you, in one of your past interviews, said that you're a voice for the voiceless, which I think is an incredibly powerful statement, but at the same time, I think when you take photos of these animals, they don't speak with you directly. They they can't thank you. They can't tell you how much you have affected their lives. But at least you get feedback from people and organizations. What is the most rewarding feedback that you've received while taking photos for the photo work?
1: Well, I like it when zoos tell me that they use the pictures because we give zoos copies of everything that we do that's any good. And we hope that they use the pictures to boost their attendance and educate more of the public as to the plight of animals and things we all can do to save them. The, the most rewarding is when somebody lets me know that the pictures have actually helped to save a species. And that's not very often, uh, but, it, but it really is a great feeling. I mean, I'm under no illusion that we can save everything that's headed to extinction, but I'm hoping we can lessen the impact of extinction by keeping the public aware that it is it's really imperative that we look out for these other creatures because what happens to them will happen to us these animals that are dependent on clean, fresh water, so are we. So if we pollute everything or, or take all the water out of the rivers, I mean, what are people going to do? It's really, it's really important. And this speaks to the heart of the photo arc. It's really important that people care about something other than who won the ball game and the price of petrol. You know, we have to, we literally do need clean air and clean water and a stable climate to grow our food and to survive ourselves. And so when we ignore what these other species are kind of implying that, the, that it's getting too rough to live for them, we really should get nervous and think about ourselves as well, and setting aside enough habitat globally to really keep the Earth's ecosystems in balance.
0: I completely agree. And what is an example of a species that you
1: helped save from extinction? Well, we believe that the the Florida grasshopper sparrow is one. It's a small brown bird that very few people were looking at. The government had, uh, the U.S. government, even though it was protected by the Endangered Species Act, had decided that they weren't going to do very much with it. They were just kind of, they. this is what I understand at least, that they were just going to kind of track its downfall. And um, we got enough publicity through the photo ark and Audubon magazine to get uh, the government to pay attention and they eventually allocated money for a captive breeding center and that's gone very well and the, the bird now you know is not in imminent danger of extinction there's still problems with getting it to survive in the wild somewhat with weather event extreme weather events with climate change and that kind of thing but but it's not an imminent danger of extinction anymore because I, I like to think at least because the photo arc helped so that's that's one example. There are not enough examples like that, though. It's it's so we could do we could do a lot more, but we, you know, I just we keep going, and we've got a great team at Geographic and at our headquarters in Lincoln, Nebraska. We're all doing all we can to try to make a difference and lessen the impact of extinction.
0: Yes, and I really appreciate everything that you're doing. But it must have been very rewarding to hear from those people who told you that you essentially saved that species from extinction. must have been very pleasant to find out.
1: Well, it helped, and there's lots of people working on it. So I don't think I can ever say, oh, I did this, but I think that we helped. And I think that things could have been much worse off and the bird could have possibly been extinct had we not gotten the government's attention with our media coverage of the bird. So that was a big thanks to Audubon Magazine too. I mean, all these species that are in rough shape have groups of people that have been working on them for years, decades. And so it's its not really fair for me to jump in and say, oh, we did that. But I, I'd like to think with the grasshopper sparrow, at least we helped.
0: Definitely. You, at the very least, contributed your time and effort and skills, and you emphasize the importance of these animals. And that's more than enough, in my opinion.
1: That's right. Well, thank you.
0: On your website, you mentioned that everyone has the power to make a real change in the world by changing the way they spend their money, use resources, and interact with the world around them. When it comes to photographers specifically, is there anything they can do locally to help save species?
1: Yes, absolutely. I'm glad you asked that. One of the big pushes that we do is we try to get people to understand that they need to plant native plants in their yards or even in window boxes if they live in apartments. Native plants that are nectar-bearing to bring in pollinators and to help bees and butterflies survive and moths and whatever, whatever we can draw in. The, The insects are really the base of the food chain in terms of the animal world. And we have to understand that if we don't have enough insects, a lot of other species that we know and love won't survive. Plus, they pollinate our fruits and vegetables. They bring us good things to eat. So what, we, what we're big on telling people is, look, number one, stop pouring chemicals on your lawn to kill insects. Quit pouring poison all over the ground because it ends up in the water, water supply. Once it rains, it moves through your lawn and out into the streams. And the other is just think about the fact that you could turn your yard into something that's actually very productive for for insects for for all sorts of types of insects and also to teach children the value of this they're they're seeing big butterflies flying around that's delightful for kids and really engages them in the natural world even if they live in a city that's one of the biggest pushes it's something that's easy and cheap and fun and adds color and life to your yard is to just set aside a section of your of your yard or even your whole yard and plant it back to native plants, things that bear, things that are flowering and beautiful and colorful. Those will bring in native pollinators and help to save them. That's wonderful advice. And I think speaking on a photography level,
0: all those flowers and plants make beautiful subjects to photograph, right?
1: They do indeed, that's right.
0: There are probably not enough words to describe how hard you work as a photographer. And as you've mentioned many times in various interviews, taking photos is not as glamorous as a lot of people think. You've had a lot of scary experiences and you often have to work very long hours to get the right shot. If you had 48 hours in a day, what would
1: you do? Well, I try to take a little bit more time off (laughs) to be honest with you. I get tired of working all the time every day of the week, but I do because I need to, but I think I would, what would I do? I don't know. The photo work is all I've done and being a photographer is all I've known since I was 18. That's a long time ago. So I I just think that I would probably do the same thing, but more of it, sadly. And I would try to take a little bit more time off to enjoy myself. But, you know, I've traveled so much for work that I really don't want to travel for fun. So my idea of fun is hanging out at home. And that's not very, I don't know, I feel lazy if I just sit around. So I go and go and go. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, that's a good
0: answer. And speaking of the photo work, again, a while ago you produced... A really amusing video in which you tried to photograph a tiger and after hours and hours of failed attempts you found a solution which was spraying perfume to get the tiger's attention what right. is the longest shoot that you've had for the photo arc and why
1: well if you count the plane travel i went over and got uh, a bornean rhino in indonesia and that took a long time to get there and a long time to fly back the shoot itself was just a few hours but if you mean sitting and waiting on an animal to cooperate, it would probably be that tiger. That was pretty much half a day waiting for a tiger to wake up from his nap and walk over to our background and eat a little bit of meat and get his picture taken in the process. So I think you're, I think you're kind of seeing it right there in front of your own eyes. That, that probably is the longest it took to do one species for the photo arc.
0: It was so cute. The photos turned out really lovely, but I can imagine you needed to have a lot of patience to wait for that tiger.
1: That's right. Well, yeah, you can't really force a tiger to do much. So you just have to be patient.
0: That's true. I'm sure that you've met thousands of people in your photography journey and your social skills are amazing. What advice would you give to shy photographers who want to reach out to people and build a clientele and just get to know people more without feeling intimidated?
1: That's a really good question. And that's a tough one because most of us are shy and very hesitant to walk up to strangers. But I think if you can do your homework as you've done today, I think if you can do your homework and, and know something about that person and something to admire or compliment on, that helps break the ice some. When I meet other photographers that I want to talk to about something, even if it's just to praise them. I've done my homework. I usually, I know what that photographer's done and I usually have a favorite picture that I mention. and I think they appreciate that. It's, and most people are not celebrities where they're irritated because they've had so many people approach them. Most people I think are grateful to get a little compliment about something they've done in their life. And so I would say, do your homework, don't ask stupid questions like, such as, who, who are you? <laughs> Or why, you know, why I I just think if you can do some homework and really learn about that person and what their life's work is, something they've accomplished, perhaps that goes a long way. Like your questions today, I can tell you've done your homework. You've really looked into this. You, you know what I do, how long it's taken. So you're, you're exceedingly well prepared and it's a pleasure to talk to you.
0: Thank you very much. I appreciate it. It was very easy to do research on your work because it's so fascinating. So all the credit goes to
1: you. Oh, well, thanks.
0: After all the amazing and terrifying experiences that you've had, how much would you say that you've changed since the first time you picked up a camera as an 18 year old?
1: I try to be a kinder person and less in a hurry, although I still am in a hurry. Uh, Not as bad. Like I realize, you know, it's important to not just take pictures and take off. You wanna to talk to people and get to know them and, and find out what they thought of the experience of having me there. I'm always interested in that. Like, did I do a good job putting people at ease? Um, are they glad they had me there? If not, that's a problem. I wanna know how to be better next time. So I think that it's a constant learning curve all the time. And when I go to different countries, they have different cultures and I, and I try to study up before I go and to not do or say the wrong thing and to be respectful. And so I think that it's, it's, again, it's just a matter of, of doing enough things in enough places and realizing that being a good person who smiles really helps. If you can smile, that's a big deal because they know that you're friendly and that you'll be a fun person and that they're not wrong for allowing you into their life. You know that it's a good decision they should trust you
0: i like that mindset it's a really nice one and i think when we imagine people who have very good social skills we think of maybe very eloquent people who have achieved a lot and it's very intimidating in general but in reality as you said all it takes sometimes is a smile and a little bit of curiosity and it can make a very big difference in your communication
1: exactly right exactly right
0: whose work has had the biggest influence on you as a photographer?
1: Well, you know, my, my parents always told me I could do whatever I wanted in my life, and I believed them. And I had a couple of journalism professors that said the same thing. I believed them too. So that, that's the biggest influence in terms of how I view myself and my place in the world were those people. In terms of other photographers, there are, there are too many to name. But i think the guy i want to be most like is a guy named david burnett who's been a longtime news photographer he's been shooting since the vietnam war and he's just a he's a good guy with a good sense of humor who sees in different ways who sees in new ways who pushes himself all the time he uses different cameras he he does things the hard way and he does photo shoots that are not obvious You know, he shoots around the edges of subjects and really tells stories well in a quiet, thoughtful way. You know, he's a, I really look up to him. Plus, he's a very nice guy.
0: It's always a very nice bonus when the person whose work you admire is also a very nice person.
1: That's right. I think for me, it'd be hard to admire somebody who wasn't a nice person, you know.
0: Definitely. Let's say that you imagine a world in which you're almost done photographing all
1: the species that you wanted to photograph for the photo arc. Okay. What's, what's your next project? The next project is not much. This is going to take me pretty much the end of my life, I think. So I'm, I'm not. There's no other projects but this for me. This is it. I will go fishing when I'm done.
0: I mean, what an amazing project to work on for so many decades. It's, I mean, you've met so many people, you've photographed so many animals, learned so many things about yourself, I'm sure as well. So I have no doubt that it's, it's worth it. Absolutely.
1: I hope so and I, I think so, but I appreciate it.
0: How can people find you on social media?
1: They can go to our uh, you know, they can go to our Instagram, which is just my name, as I recall, or Facebook, or they can come to joelsartori.com and look around. That's where we have uh, you have the ability to search the entire photo arc there and to look at the frequently asked questions and to see videos. So it's all there, joelsartori.com, J-O-E-L-S-A-R-T-O-R-E. And that's about it.
0: I'll make sure to share all the links to Joel's work in the description. Check out his work support, his amazing photographs and his project. And Joel, I have one more question for you. That is, sure. What is the one thing you'd like to achieve in this great big photography world?
1: Well, I'd like to create a body of work that lasts, that is um, interesting, and that helps save the planet, that helps save species from extinction. That's the big thing is – Will we humans realize that these other animals have a basic right to exist and that when we throw them away, we are endangering ourselves, including the plants, by the way, super important. I don't know, but time will tell. Time will tell. We'll just keep going, hoping for the best, as it were.
0: You're doing a fantastic job. And I want to thank you personally for dedicating so much of your time to this project, to animals, and for being so open and kind as a person. I really appreciate that. And I really wish you the very best with your journey moving forward.
1: Thank you so much. I enjoyed talking to you. Likewise, thank you.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I really enjoyed speaking with Joel and I hope that you enjoyed listening to his stories. He's very eloquent. He has so much wisdom to share and I hope you take the time to check out the photo arc. All the links will be in the description. Thank you once again, and I'll see you next week. There's a simple reason why PhotographyCourse.net is the highest rated photography community in the world. It's because the people who use it made it that way. Why not join us right now? Improve your skills, get exposure, and discover an exciting new world of photography.